0: Welcome to Everyday Pastor. Whether you have been a pastor for 40 years or four days, this space is for you. As a pastor, you spend your days encouraging and problem solving for others, but where can you turn for sound advice on leading your church or keeping your family a priority? On this podcast, Phil Waldrop will connect you with his ministry friends to talk about the things your layman friends don't understand or can't relate to. We want to help ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries, Let's dive in.
1: Pastors ask me almost on a regular basis, we're wanting to do a big event and we want to do it well. And most of those pastors have had disappointments in the past when they bought in a special speaker or special musical guest. They did a big event and then nobody showed up or at least they did not feel they got the results they desired. Hi, I'm Phil Walter, and today on Everyday Pastor, we're gonna be talking about how you can do effective events in your church, whether they are evangelistic, or just trying to help people know about your church. There's some things you can do, very simple things to make it very effective. And that's why I'm excited that my friend Scott Dawson of the Scott Dawson Evangelistic Association in Birmingham, Alabama, is going to join me. He's done a lot of big events, and he's done them well. So you're going to gain some insights today on how you can do events effectively where you live as well. Well, Hello, everybody. It's Phil Waldorf, and thanks again for joining me for the Everyday Pastor podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I got to tell you, what we're going to talk about today is going to be relevant for every single pastor I know, because pastors want to do special events, and either evangelistic events, or they want to do something to try to reach uh, the teenagers that are in their community. They want to do something maybe to just have a presence in the community, but particularly we're going to talk about evangelistic events today. But as somebody who's done so many of those, I've got to confess, I've watched pastors do some great things, and I've watched a lot of pastors and churches do things only because they didn't know how to do it effectively. So today, we're going to talk about how you can effectively do things, and we're going to get down into the nitty-gritty and the practical things of doing that. And I don't know anybody that I'd rather have for this podcast than my longtime friend, Scott Dawson. Many of you know Scott is an evangelist from Birmingham. Um, He has his student events that he does, the Strength to Stand conferences. He's been a longtime friend, longer than either of us want to admit, so we won't even get into that. But Scott, thanks for joining me today.
2: Phil, it is a privilege to be with you, and I mean, you honor the one who opens the door for you. I wouldn't be where I am today without you investing in me, Uh, but back in those younger days that you would allow me just to kind of hang out and learn, so I could almost flip the tables and ask you, because you have done almost everything that we're going to talk about today. You've just given me the platform to which I appreciate it.
1: Well, you know, actually, I'm going to say it has flipped a little bit because you spend the time and the energy to try to be up to date and in particular I think you've done a good job of staying current with the younger generation hmm. I'll just confess that I'm getting too old sometime <laughs> to keep up with that so we're just going to call on both of our experiences today to do that I want to start with probably the most important question every church and every pastor needs to ask who wants to do a specialized evangelistic event why should you do it and particularly what should be your focus
2: yeah, well, first of all, for any pastor that's looking to do an evangelistic event uh for your for your church, your fellowship, it should be part of your overall strategy. It's the heart of our Savior to leave the ninety-nine and to go after the one that's lost. It's throughout Scripture, the Great Commission. And that should be, we're we're always talking about going to the ends of the earth, but it starts in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So it starts where we live. So it needs to be part of our DNA. So for that pastor, first. First of all, I want to thank you uh, for for having that heart, because as a as what scripture calls us a farmer in the field, a farmer's got to do two things: you got to do chores around the house, and you got to work in the field. Now, most of us, as pastors and ministers, we kind of we kind of go across the spectrum. We either lean more around doing chores around the house. Or we do work in the field. you got to do both. So when we talk about evangelism, yes, that's part of the discipleship process. We'll get into that later. But for the evangelistic outreach event, number one thing there's, there's gotta be the prayer. There's, you know, Billy Graham said the three most important parts of his outreach process was prayer. The second most important thing was prayer. And the third most important thing is prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, without prayer, there's no bother. So, uh, and no power. So you want to be involved in that prayer and and a burden prayer. You know, it's, um, it's, it's when you get your people burdened about their neighbor's, that's when they'll invite them. That's when they'll do something about it. So as a pastor is looking at this, spend some time in prayer. Ask, ask the Father to give you wisdom and discernment in developing this strategy. Second is to know your purpose. Your purpose is to see lost people come to know Christ. I think a lot of times our, our events go south because we really don't know the purpose of the event. We don't know why we're doing it. So if you stay focused on what you're looking towards, uh, that's going to get you closer to your goal. The, th- the third thing is to plan uh, appropriately. Um, you have to look at the social calendar. You know, I, t- I tell churches all the time, you can try to do an event on in, in Alabama on Friday night in the fall if you want to. But your people have the choice to either come to your event or go to the high school football game. And if you know for the last 70 years, a high school football game is going to have half the Town at the event, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So you have to, you have to plan accordingly to know the calendar, know, know the people that you're trying to reach. And as you go after them, uh, you'll, you'll be successful in your goal. And then I would say uh, the most important thing to consider when you're hosting your evangelistic event is what happens when we stop sharing the gospel. I mean, Adrian Rogers used to always say, we're one generation from being extinct. If we do not share the gospel, uh, what other opportunities do we have to build the body? Um, so I, I, it's part of my DNA and I'm passionate about it. And I pray the pastors that if you're listening and you're, you're involved in this podcast, that we can do anything we can to motivate you to plan an event in, in your area to see people come to know Christ.
1: I think that's very good. So we're going to be focused now that we're going to pray, and we're going to be very specific that the purpose of this event is not to make the church more aware in the community. It's not to, you know, everybody think we're the coolest people in town. It is to share the gospel. So with that in mind, let me go back to something you said a moment ago. When is a good time to do an evangelistic event? On the calendar.
2: Yeah, I I think you look at, you know, very distinct, uh, opportunities. Every community is, uh, unique. So if you try to do the cookie cutter approach, uh, you're going to get what we've always had. And that's just another, thing to put on the calendar. But if you can look at it where where what I what I always consider is when the church is intersecting with the community. That's a great opportunity to share the gospel. Let me explain. You could be in a situation where there is a a natural gathering of people. You know, our my principle at SDA is wherever people are, the gospel needs to be shared. That's the reason we do it um with Uh, baseball teams, you know, and, um, we've, we've, we've had some major successes. Uh, we went into a high school situation and reached to that community. It broadened across the region and over 300 churches worked together and no one got the credit. And we saw 39,000 people come together and a lot of people got saved. And I, I think the Lord was just smiling on us that night. I've also had the failures. I thought I could take that strategy, go into the inner city and do the same type of thi- uh, event and try to reach the inner city. And it ended up less than a 100 people coming together. And I was scratching my head going, well, how did we go from one of the greatest successes we've seen to, uh, in my mind, one of the greatest <laughs> experiments that went south? And, and I've realized you've got to know your community. So get to know your community uh, before you start planning the event. Everybody wants to have ownership. I, I would suggest a pastor bringing together a leadership team. And as you build this team, they're going to be able to give you different aspects towards This one event, it's like looking at a diamond. It's many faceted, but you're looking at it and it's one diamond, but you're looking at it from all different sides. Got to build ownership because this it goes back to what Sterling Houston used to drive into us, that involvement produces ownership. And when people own something, they will make sure it gets done. The problem is most of us as pastors and leaders, we just plan the event, put the event on the calendar. No one's got involvement, so they don't own it. And they don't show up.
1: So I I like that takeaway, uh, that observation. People have to own it. That's the reason why I've noticed where, uh, if it's a multi day revival, we'll talk about those in a moment. I noticed that the churches that attended well was the church, to put it in the phrase of one pastor, put everybody on some kind of committee. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in a church recently, they had 450 people on the prayer committee. But all of those people had certain things they had to do. The pastor said, then we have people who are on, you know, the parking committee. Every, everybody had a job, but his philosophy was where there was an investment, people would invite people and they want it to be a success because they don't want it to be a failure. So I think um. getting people involved. So let me, let's take that a step further. When people want to do an event, I want to be practical here. Talk to me about... Having it at the church versus having it in a neutral site, if that's a good phrase, uh, sure. versus the high school versus the local church. What are the plus and minuses of both?
2: Yeah, they can be successful in in both places. Um, I would say you have to look at uh, different avenues there. If if you're gonna if you're going to host the event inside your auditorium or on your campus your people are going to have to be involved they're going to have to know the purpose and they're going to have to bring their friends because it's very unusual for people just to drive past a church campus and go oh i'm going to this event this evening i mean it just mm-hmm. uh, you can try that but it just doesn't work you have to get your people mobilized if i was looking at doing something inside of a of a uh, of a church campus i would probably back up As you have your leadership team, I would, but even before the leadership team exists, I would do a series, a sermon series on why this matters. I, Mm -hmm. I would, I would drill into why souls matter. Why do we look at people as souls instead of just flesh and bone? Jesus has, has breathed life into us. And if I treat you like the world treats you, I can do anything in the world to you and walk away. But if you're a soul, if we can become soul conscious, Then all of a sudden that soul has eternal implications that we've got to do something about it. Operation Andrew would be another sermon in that series of what happens when Andrew finds Jesus. He goes and gets others and brings them to Jesus. Most of the time we want to just put the big broadcast up that we're having an event and have people show Mm -hmm. up. The woman at the well met Jesus and then went and got the town to bring them to Jesus That's what's got to be involved in these sermon series. Then you bring your leadership team together. You have a, uh, you have a season of prayer. Then you have a laser. uh, This is very important. A laser focused event. It's not a shotgun. Mm -hmm. It is laser. This is a rifle approach because when people come in and they're, they're walking in and and we always know that uh, according to the Princeton uh, religion research group, the Top three questions Americans are asking, what is the meaning of life? Why is there so much pain and suffering? And what's going to happen to me when I die? If you can address those three issues on that event surrounded with the gospel, I'm telling you, you will see people come to know Christ when
1: you give them the the right opportunity to respond. And I think that's another good takeaway for today. And that is, it has to be laser focused. Now, let me drill down a little bit with that. Okay. Should a church uh, focus, for example, you've been very successful at doing evangelistic events that were targeted towards teenagers. I think a lot of churches still have the mentality of the old fashioned church revival. I still do those, and I still see mm-hmm. them uh, do it well. Uh, But sometimes preaching to today's 18-year-old and preaching to a 58-year-old is a little difficult. Every pastor knows that to be true. So should the evangelistic event be so focused that maybe you're trying to reach one particular age group or one segment of the community versus a broad approach?
2: Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I think the principles stay the same. I mean, you can use different analogies. I mean, you know, if I'm speaking to an older audience, I'm going to use Art Linkletter. If I'm, if I'm using, you know, the new generation, I'm speaking of Taylor Swift. I mean, so it's, but it's the principles of the same of trying to find out how can people find purpose in their life? How can they find hope? Uh, and, and meaning to their existence. So I, I, th- I want to say that when I preach the gospel, the gospel never changes. It's just mm-hmm. the door that I walk through to get to the gospel may be different, but I, I still do, you know, I do probably two revivals a year. And I'm, I'm thinking now as I'm up there on the pulpit and preaching the message i never change the the message but i have to know the room i have to know the mm-hmm. audience and the difference is is if i'm in a student conference um I, we've got the we've got the stats uh phil last year at our student conferences it prior to covid it was 10 to 11 percent. we'd have a response. Okay, so that was across mm-hmm. the board for the last twenty years. It would vary between nine point eight, maybe to twelve percent every once in a while. Since COVID, this past December and January, we had a twenty four percent response from mm-hmm. the students. Same gospel, same message. It's just the crisis is everywhere. We're people are in chaos the gospel brings purpose. It brings clarity. It brings peace. And when you offer the, the opportunity to have a relationship with the living God, people respond. And so if I'm in a church revival, you know, this and man, some nights you're just praying the pastor shows up, you know, uh, because, <laughs> Oh, you've been
1: at that it, church too. I see. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. And, but I've seen it where when the gospels presented, you may not have those stats, But that one person that comes forward, that one person that received Christ, sometimes that will do more inside that church Mm -hmm. than than an entire youth group will see at a student conference when 17 come forward. Why? Because the entire church saw that one. So I don't want to discount doing Mm -hmm. the evangelistic event inside the church. You may not see the stats, but you can definitely see the impact happen.
1: Well, one of the things I I take away from that is – You said know your community about when to do it, but another takeaway you just gave us was also know your audience and who is coming. So with that, let's get down into the weeds just a little bit. How long do you think a church should take to plan an effective evangelistic event? How much time do we need to plan if we do it well? Yeah. And, and I would say
2: that would be dependent on budgeting, um, uh, scope, because if you're dealing with, uh, a high budgeted event, I always say 12 to uh, 18 months is the, is the sweet spot. We have done it in as little as six months, but that's, man, that's rushing everything because you've got to get the artist. You've got to get the production. Um, you, you've got to get the budget. And, and by the way, when, Ever, I'm in a city and they say money is not going to be a problem, I guarantee you money will be the problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it does take time to raise those funds because you're, you're trying to raise a platform to bring credibility. I'll go back to the old days when we did the pizza blast. God didn't anoint the pizza, but you know what it was? It was a credible event to where a student could invite their friend to attend an evangelistic rally. Mm-hmm. I'm using that same principle inside of a baseball stadium, inside of a uh, high school arena, inside uh, of wherever we go. Because if you can build a credible event, that's what the pastors have got to look at. Instead of looking at a definite timeline, look at how, how much time do we need to make this credible for mm-hmm. our community to say, we'll buy into coming.
1: And if I can follow up on that, when you, when you talk about the event being credible, give me your insight into bringing in, I guess, the question we haven't addressed here is who is going to be a part of that evangelistic event? And I mean by that, who is going to be the speaker slash gospel presenter? Uh-huh. Who is, are we going to have a part of that that is not... Um, that maybe will give us some credibility. I mean, I go to some, you know, where they'll bring in a well-known athlete or musician or someone like that. Um, But give our pastors some insight into, okay, who do I invite to be a part of this who is going to do this well? Because nothing, there's nothing worse. And I have watched this happen with pastors that you do everything right but then you invite your buddy who went to school with you, and he oh, wow. gets up in the night of the evangelistic, he preaches a message, and it has it's not a gospel presentation, doesn't draw the net well. So give us some insight into what should a pastor be thinking when he thinks about program personalities for that event? Oh, yeah. Um,
2: wow. You just... That last um observation you gave just made chills run down my spine because if there's we've all been there, you're in the room, there's lost people they're searching, and then they hear a message that's not relevant. in fact, I'll go back to nine eleven go back many years ago when churches were packed, and the attendance started fading back down. George Barna did the survey and the number one response people gave to not coming back to church was they did not hear a life-changing message Mm. so you have to give a life-changing message of the gospel that's that's get someone who can not only communicate the gospel but have a clear plan on how people respond to the gospel um you make it where it is I, i very rarely i i tell the uh, the worship team I've got I'll make a plan with you I will not interrupt your worship if you do not interrupt my invitation mm-hmm. and we'll get along just great because if you can do whatever you want beforehand because quite honestly if we're dealing with a bunch of lost people they're they're not even paying attention okay mm-hmm. they're talking there's this there's this murmuring going around the room but when you get to the gospel and you get to Jesus dying on the cross and you talk about the resurrection and you talk about hope that can come into your life. I call it the holy hush in the room. Mm-hmm. And then you're drawing them to the point where, where the Holy Spirit is drawing them to himself and you're up there sharing how you can receive Christ. And I, and, and I use this analogy that. I got from somebody I'm sure out there and you can get every pastor out there. Use it. It's one of those things where I say, you know, a travel agent will send you a map and send you some instructions. But a Mm -hmm. tour guide, a tour guide will go with you. I can't experience it for you, but a tour guide can be right there beside you. And tonight I want to be your tour guide leading you to Christ. I can't do it for you. But I can be right here beside you as you talk to God and you come into a relationship with Him. And so as you lead them to Christ, which is which is one of those things where, my goodness, I, I know this will. I don't want to cause anyone to write you emails. Write them to me. I, I, I'll I'll deal with this. But people say, well, there's not a prayer to pray mm-hmm. in the Bible. I hear that all the time, and I'll go. I I got that. I get that. But can I also agree with you that Scripture teaches constantly about prayer? And Isaiah in the Old Testament says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me. In the New Testament, Paul says, pray without ceasing. So how can you go from God not hearing your prayer to God always hearing your prayer? Jesus was the one who met a religious person named Nicodemus who thought he knew everything, but one question, how can a man be born again? And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. How are you born again? Paul says in Romans 10 verse 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That term's born again, a new creation. So yes, I know there's not a prayer written in scripture, but the prayer is not reciting after me. It is not filling out a card. It's the one word. It's calling upon the Lord. Calling. I give the analogy of drowning. If you're drowning and someone throws you a life preserver, you grab the life preserver. Somebody could say, well, I'm saving myself. No, you're drowning. You've got to trust the life Mm -hmm. preserver. I'm not the life preserver. This message is not even the life preserver. Jesus is who you call upon. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I know we took a lot of time on that, but I, uh, pastors, please hear us. Have someone that can cr- cr- share the gospel. It, it may be someone very energetic. It could be someone mm-hmm. very uh, academic. But make sure they're powerful in sharing the gospel and have a clear path plan to To, to allow those people to respond to the gospel. Okay. The second thing is for personalities, for music and personalities. I call that stocking the pond so I can go fishing. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you've ever gone to a pond and tried to fish with no fish, that's a waste of your time. And a lot of times we call our church events evangelistic strategies. There's no, there's no fish in the pond. It's just a bunch of us around, around the pond talking. So how do you stock the pond? You can do that. You can spend uh, believe me, you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars bringing in the biggest personalities in the world, but you, you look again at your scope. It could be that you bring in a, a high school football coach. It could be that you bring in um, someone that, that is involved in your community, like a local mayor that has a testimony. And then people go, well, what about the testimonies of the people who may later on fall by the wayside or or they have some scandal that comes up in their lives? And, and you know, an honest admi- admission that has happened to some of our personalities that we've had on our stage. We didn't know about it, but after a season, something's happened about them. But I always go at that moment that they were on our stage, um, you know, God was working through them because God is faithful to work through his word. His word will never come back void. Mm -hmm. It is my responsibility to allow God to work in me. And that's not only today, but that's tomorrow and that's next year. But if I don't allow God to work in me and I fall by the wayside, that's that's not something I can blame God. I can't blame Phil Waldrop for having me on the podcast. I've got as I've got to take the 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 responsibility and say that's my fault. I, I mm-hmm. fell by the wayside. It, does, it doesn't It does change the power of the message of that testimony the night they gave it one iota.
1: Well, and I, I want to follow up with that thought with you because I remind people, because I've heard that criticism, and I say, well, remember, Jesus had Judas, Paul had Demas. The huh. best of our intentions, there are going to be people who may have some public sin, but at the moment, if if our hearts are pure we didn't know it God can still use it. But I do want to I want to echo something and have you comment on it. I have watched churches and pastors who really did a very good job planning an evangelistic event. And maybe they brought in a music group, for example, or they brought in somebody with who would be a well-known athlete, for example. And by the way, uh, a word to pastors here, um, when you invite athletes to come, make sure it is an athlete who is still current. I'm amazed how many churches I go to, and we've got somebody from the 1968 <laughs> Alabama football team, and he was the right guard. And I want to say, Pastor, he's not going to draw anybody. Uh, athletes, have a chef life. That's what I call it. And I love athletes, but they have a chef life. If they're not in the news currently, they're probably not going to bring in the people that you want to come to to hear them. But one thing I want to caution pastors about that I've observed when you have music groups come in, be sure that it is not a concert with the evangelistic speaker making a few closing remarks. Make sure the gospel presentation is the most important part of what you're going to do. And, you know, sometimes you may have the group sing after that. But if you give a musical group a full concert of an hour, it's going to be hard for anybody to share after that. Would you agree with me about that? Oh, man. Yeah, I... Um, yes. Um,
2: here is, man, I, I remember being at some festivals and they would give you 15 minutes to share the gospel. What they're, what they're building the entire thing to, to their donors and to the community. This is an evangelistic galleries, but they have 17 bands. You've got 15 minutes. And as you're speaking, they're tuning their their instruments behind you. They're dropping things on the floor. Um, it really taught me a lot about concentration and the focus when you're on the platform. And I, I remember being at, a, at an event. I'm sure no one has ever been there because I'm not sure if it was long lived. It was called Holy Palooza. Instead of Lollapalooza, it was Holy Palooza. And yeah. I re, and I just remember, uh, going, I'm done with this. I, I am done of just being the segue between the bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to be the, you know, the prima donna, the diva of the moment. But if we're presenting the gospel, it needs to have the platform for at least uh, uh, the ample time to be able to present it. Now, I, th- I think if you can share the gospel, if you can't share the gospel in 20 minutes, you can't share the gospel in an hour. So mm-hmm. don't drag it out for the sake of just wanting to be on stage. Uh, we gave up. We had, um, and I, I have to be very careful about this. We had an opportunity. We do Major League Baseball. We had another uh, opportunity into another major sports arena. And they came back and they told us, we want you to do the concert but uh, at me that they were only going to give us five minutes to present the gospel. And mm. we chose to walk away and some people would go, man, five minutes is better than none at all. Not when you're not able to clearly present the God. again, I, it doesn't take an hour, but in my opinion, if you're going to, if you're going to present the gospel to a, a wide audience I think you've got to have 20 minutes just so that you can garner the attention drive home the principles of the gospel you know the i always go uh, our buddy James Merritt taught me this and i still use it today the bad news is we're all sinners for all have sinned the worst news is there's nothing you can do about it the wages of sin is death the good news is that jesus loves you he died on the cross and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us and the best news he can change your life today whosoever calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved if you're going to explain that to people in the stands that come from all different walks of life, you've got to have that ample opportunity to be able to share it. So um, to me, I go, that's what I'm looking at with, a, with, a, with an artist. And Phil Jenkins, who's a friend of both of ours, mm-hmm. um, whenever I share the gospel and walk off the stage, um, I always give him a high five. That's for a, a friend of ours that was on our team that's now in glory and it is our signal that okay they can have the concert now they can they can do the celebration mm-hmm. now because we have got it to the point where the invitation has been taken care of people are being followed up we know that we're going gar- to garner all that information now they can go have fun so set up the um the uh, the event to where the gospel has ample time one one final thing i would say the biggest hindrance to an evangelistic event is being hijacked I, mm-hmm. I've seen it happen too many times. They keep adding things to the program. They keep adding mm-hmm. good things, good things, but at the expense of the purpose of the event, and that's giving it an ample opportunity to share the
1: gospel. I, I agree with that. In fact, uh, that's a good takeaway, too, because one of the things i found, uh, when you have a crowd and a microphone, everybody mm-hmm. would like to share something for two minutes. Yes. And so the next thing you know, you've taken up, 30 minutes making announcements about everything that's going to be happening in town. And I think pastors need to know this is your event. It's okay for you to say, I'm sorry. Every, you know, I have a phrase that originated with Dwight L. Moody. Every cause is not a call. So you don't have to cover everything in this event. But people get excited when there's a big crowd. So they keep trying to hijack it. And you're exactly right when they do that. But I remind the pastor, the takeaway is, it's your event. It's okay to say to, to the musicians, you're going to do 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever. And it's okay to say to them, you can't be on stage while the speaker's speaking. Absolutely. It's okay to tell people that. Sometimes people don't realize the distraction they are. So that's a vital takeaway. Here's another question. When you look at all of the evangelistic events you've done, what are the biggest mistakes pastors make that you wished every pastor knew? Mm. All right. Well, we've, we've discussed a couple of them just to
2: refresh our memories. Hijacking is, is, I will go back to it. It seems like it's always the, the most glaring mistake we make is giving good uh, causes a platform, but at the expense of the purpose of the event. So you have to protect it. You're not being mean. You're just protecting mm-hmm. the the integrity of that night, um, adding um, too many acts, a- adding too many different factions of the night. You're not being hijacked by people coming in with good causes. You're almost sabotaging yourself because you've tried to make it so many different facets that no one really understands. And, and everyone's worn out by the time the gospel is is shared. Um I would say not having someone who can share the gospel. Um, you know, that I've, I've been in. Um, hopefully they wouldn't say, I didn't share the gospel. Maybe, maybe that's indicting on me, but I I try to share the gospel every time I get up. Uh, not having a plan for follow up. I think that is Mm -hmm. one of the major, um, no-nos that, that a pastor could, could allow to happen is, is to see everyone say, come to know Christ. And that could be response. There's so many different types of responses. I'm, I'm biased towards coming forward because, uh, I grew up with Dr. Graham. I know everybody says, well, people are confused when they, when they come forward. Um, I, I hope that's the reason we have, we have counselors. I hope that's the mm-hmm. reason we have encouragers so they can explain, and that's the reason we have follow-up. Um, you know, if you expect everyone to understand everything about salvation uh, when they come to know Christ, I've been saved since I was a child, and I'm still learning about it. So how mm-hmm. much do we have to know? Uh, the second thing they'll say about a Come Forward invitation is it's highly emotional. You know, we don't want anyone to respond out of emotion. I go, I don't want everyone, anyone to be driven by emotion, but to remove emotion from uh, the human body, um, that makes us non-human at the beginning. So I think you have to, you have to balance that. I don't want anyone driven by emotion, but an emotional moment can change your life forever. It can be Mm -hmm. the, the, the energy that God uses to cross for you to cross the line to follow Him, we have text response. You know that is really big right now. A lot of pastors use that uh, during the Easter service: text to this number, and then they follow up with them. Um, they, there's the card response, but you've got to have a plan in place for people to be able to respond. Then to have a plan in place for people to follow up just as important as people are praying, which is so important. You've Mm got to have a group of people ready to follow up with these people with the integrity of telling everyone who responds, you will be contacted. I I Mm -hmm. think that's sometimes we we're afraid to say something like that. Like we're going to be contacting you, but you, you know, as they're coming to know Christ you have to tell, they know they don't know everything. They know that their lives are messed up and they need some help. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, we're not a country club. We're a mash hospital for wounded souls. And so we need one another. And I think if you say, we're going to contact you, we're not going to bug you. We're not going to pester you, but we do want to make sure you know that in a world that doesn't give a rip about anything, someone cares about you. And if you're going to get mad at us for caring about you, then we'll take our chances and we'll let you get mad with us. Mm-hmm. So a- as you're thinking about all the different mistakes, um, again, c- uh, scheduling. You know they'll try to have it on a, a sa- you know the third Saturday in October in in Tuscaloosa or in Knoxville. I mean that doesn't happen because that's the Alabama-Tennessee game. You just you have to know your calendar. And, and for those of you who are not in the South. Um, understand we just, it's the same principle for any other sport. It's just, we live football mm-hmm. in the South and, and so we just know not to do that. Uh, I would say, uh, one final mistake I think that I've, I've seen too many times is, um, for, for you not to have it unified. And when I say unified, that everybody that's on the platform knows why they're there. From the opening mic, to the musicians, to the worship leader, to the invitation team. Um, how many times have you seen someone just take an invitation in a totally different direction after you've got it all set up, ready for people to respond,
1: and mm-hmm. then they go a different direction? So those, well,
2: are, those are some of the mistakes.
1: Yeah, and I think the one that I would add, to is not doing it. Just not having an evangelistic event. You know, I I think pastors, and, and again, you've mentioned this earlier, and I think it's a very important point. Some pastors go into an evangelistic event with a number in their mind that's going to be saved. And they say, well, you know, we're not going to do that again. We were expecting 50 people being saved, and we only had 20. I've had pastors say that to me. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. we were expecting 50, and we only had four. And when a pastor says that to me, they're usually going to see tears coming into my eyes because the night that I came to Christ, it was an eight-day revival that our church did back when I was a little boy. I came to Christ on the final night. There was one other little girl who was saved that night. We were the only two professions of faith all week long. And the only firsthand memory that I really have of that night was the man who was preaching saying, this has been a total waste of my time. All we've seen is these two little snotty nosed kids get saved. He said that from the platform. and he had just preached that Jesus loved me so much he gave his life for me, but obviously I wasn't important enough for him to come preach the revival at our church. So hmm. I tell people, you are, you need to be faithful, do it well. But even if there's only 10, 20, two that come to Christ, it's not a failure. You did it. Yeah. The gospel has been shared. And how many times, have people gone to an evangelistic event. They may not have responded that night, but in a week or two or two weeks, the Holy Spirit continues to deal with their heart and then they come to Christ. So my thing is do it and do it well. One final question for you, Scott, and I think I know what your answer is gonna be, but I want you to kind of maybe answer it to encourage some guys. A lot of times pastors will say, I'm in a rural area, our church is not very large, uh, don't get any interest in churches coming together to do a big event. Can we still do an effective evangelistic event in our community, even though our community is not very large? And I know your answer is going to be yes, but I want you to answer it to encourage those <laughs> pastors to still do an evangelistic event. What do you say to them to encourage them to do it?
2: Yeah, I, I would say um, I'll agree with you. My answer is yes, do it um, and don't really worry about. the. In fact, you and I both know I hardly ever worry about the size of the location. I always worry about the depth of a burden. Because if Mm -hmm. there's a burden, they'll pay the price. If there's no burden, there's no bother. Um, I've been in some small places and had some big things happen. I've been in some big places that uh, had nothing happen because nobody showed up. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it really depends on if you've got the burden for it. And I just remind every pastor. I mean, we, we go through Christmas and we sing the song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. God did something pretty big in a little town called Bethlehem. So never try to put size as an indicator of what God can or cannot do. And it starts in the heart of an individual. Um, it needs to be the DNA of your fellowship about mm-hmm. bringing lost people to Christ. I know there's discipleship. I know there's worship. I know there's fellowship. But it is about seeing people come to know Christ that is the next generation. Um, we have a, f- a friend of ours, Willie Rice. He, 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 he led me to understand there's three types of Christians. There's the remember when Christian. That's uh, everything was better 20 years ago. There's the majority of remember me Christians. We want to be fat and happy and satisfied. But there's a remnant that remembers why. And if you remember why, it's always about the generation that's behind us. So you're always reaching today's students, today's adults, today's parents. Why? Because of the generation coming behind us. That It's just as important for them as it was the generation that preceded us.
1: Mm, good words, good words. Well, Scott Dawson, you're a good friend, and I am really grateful that you joined us today because I think pastors who are listening to this, number one, are going to be motivated. That it really is a spiritual battle. So you start with prayer. I think second, it is something you need to be focused on doing. And sometimes you may not have all the answers. We learn by experience. You would admit, I would admit that when we started many years ago, we didn't get it right every time. We still don't get it right every time, yep. but God blesses the effort. And then I heard you take, talk about it being the burden that people catch the vision of reaching people who don't know Christ, but then also having a follow-up. Don't just have the event. Don't just say, oh, we had this number of people come to Christ, but a planned um, reaction to get contact with those people so that those people can be connected to the local church so they follow up in discipleship. And again, to pastors, don't get disappointed because – Jesus fed 5,000, but only 12 followed him, and even one of those went by the wayside. So don't think we're going to hit it 100% all the time. You're not going to hit it 100% all the time, but who knows, the person that your outreach may um, actually be the one in your community, may be the next Billy Graham, may be the next person God's going to use to touch the world. So we encourage people to do it. Well, Scott Dawson, thank you for joining me today. It is so great to have you on the Everyday uh, uh, Pastor podcast.
2: Thank you, Phil, and man, blessings on you. Continue to do what you always do. Press forward, my friend. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Everyday Pastor. Our hope is that this conversation will be a resource to you both personally and professionally as you navigate the high calling of leading a church. For more information on today's topic, a list of related resources, or information about today's guest, please visit everydaypastor.info. Don't forget to subscribe to Everyday Pastor so you don't miss an episode, share it with your friends, and follow at Phil Waldrop on Instagram for podcast updates.